Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And so it took me probably 10 years or about five years after I left just to kind of unpack how much control and mental uh, brainwashing and, and mental abuse there was, which is so complicated when it's your father, because there was love there. Right. Like, and I do love him and I do think he loves me, but so many layers, so many layers when you add in such a controlling religion. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me, I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you, what makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, 
please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, my beautiful friend, do you suffer from depression? Symptoms of depression are not always obvious. You might feel constantly tired. You might be low in energy, low in motivation. You might have constant feelings of anxiety or worry, feelings of sadness or feeling constantly guilty about everything. If this sounds like you, take a look at Destroy Depression. It's a treatment plan that works regardless of your symptoms or your age. It's a totally drug-free, straightforward plan that explains everything you need to know about eliminating depression step by step. Destroy Depression helps you dominate your depression. It helps you take back control over your symptoms and it comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee so you really have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Click the link in the show notes to find out more about how Destroy Depression can help you because you really do deserve to live your life free from the symptoms of depression. Hey, my beautiful friends, welcome back to the podcast. I wanted to bring some beautiful healing energy into these last few episodes for 2022. And my guest this week is so full of incredible love energy. You can just feel it. And she has been on a big journey to get to where she is today. Melissa was born to parents who ran what Melissa now understands was a cult. It was a fundamentalist Christian church with rules that were so extreme that from three years of age, Melissa believed that her heart was black. She was a sinner. She was broken and evil. And if she begged God to save her, he would wash her clean and take her to heaven. Her main purpose in life was to have babies. And she had to agree with and take on the beliefs of her husband and the hierarchy of men that ran the church. Her position as a woman was at the bottom of the food chain. And this was Melissa's life mapped out for her. But one day she saw a tiny crack of light from the outside world and she followed it. And she started asking questions. This is a journey from complete control to incredible freedom. And Melissa is now helping women just like you to create a map to a new life, to heal their mindset and gather the tools to live the next stage of their life empowered, free and fulfilled. And if, as you are listening to Melissa, you are drawn to work with her, she has a special offer for you at the end of the podcast. Her contact details are all in the show notes. So please join me now for Melissa's story. Melissa, I'm really excited to connect with you today. You grew up in a cult run by your father. You lived a very controlled existence, bound by a lot of rules and expectations, and you escaped that entire life to live in freedom. You're now teaching women how to overcome self-doubt so that they can live a life of joy and fulfillment and purpose. It all sounds so amazing. Let's go back to the beginning. And can you tell us what type of cult we're talking about here? Yeah. So I was in a fundamental Baptist cult. So if you know anything about 
Baptist, I just say like, go as far conservative as you can think and then stick us on a farm 20 minutes outside of anything. And wow, that yeah. was my existence. Wow. Yeah. So you all lived on a property together? Yeah. So by the time I was born, my dad had been running the church for a while and they bought this old farm. It was a 40 acre farm. They turned the barns into the church buildings and built houses on the property. So not everybody in the church lived on the property. There were about maybe six or seven families there. And I just kind of always say like the most devout people who were like all in lived on the property. So it was, and then we had other people in the community that would come in for, for like for the meetings and stuff. Yeah. Wow. And so your dad headed up this whole thing. That must've been pretty intense. You can imagine being part of a cult, but then your dad is actually the head of it. Were you close to your dad? What was that relationship like? I adored my dad growing up just like he was everything he was he was really like a like god to me because the way that our group was run and what we were taught was that god had given men all of the wisdom and all of the power and women were just supposed to listen and obey mm. and so and and then there was like a hierarchy with the men so like the pastor was the highest and then the church leaders and then like the regular men so here he was my dad he was the pastor And he, yeah, he was like God to me. When you're a kid, you think everything is okay. You think you're, you're, everything is normal and right. Okay. Right. And so it took me probably 10 years or about five years after I left just to kind of unpack how much control and mental brainwashing and, and mental abuse there was, which is so complicated when it's your father because oh, there yeah. was love there, right? Like, and I do love him and I do think he loves me, but so many layers, so yeah. many layers when you add in such a controlling religion. Yeah, absolutely. And so did he come from a religious background himself? Yeah, he did. He came from a more more mainstream Christianity and then I guess it wasn't enough for him. Yeah. So he went, yeah, when he went to a university that was fundamentalist and that kind of changed and altered the course for him. And I truly do believe that he thought everything he was saying was true and Mm. everything he was saying and the whole structure of the group was if you follow these rules, God will protect you and your family. If you follow these rules, it will all work out. And Mm. I, and, and, and if you look at who came to our group and who was drawn in, it was a lot of people from unstable families. And I think what they saw was, hey, if we follow these rules, everything will be okay. And there were a lot of of men and leaders in this, not my particular church group, but in the fundamentalist groups that really were there for so much control and power. I think my dad truly believed what he was teaching and the rules and and trying to protect his family. Not that it makes it okay it almost makes it more complicated because as humans and and as his daughter, I want everything to be black and white. I want everything to be like, this was okay. And this wasn't, this is right. And this is wrong. And there's just so many layers to it when it's your parent. Oh, absolutely. And it is all about control. It's control from the top and the hierarchy, but 
it's also all these people coming in that just want someone to take control of their life really, isn't it? I mean, they're almost lost souls. They're sort of almost saying, I just want somebody else to kind of run my life for me in a way. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a man coming in, it wasn't that bad. (laughs) You know, you, you come into a group that says all of these rules and it's like a recipe and you'll have a good family. Your family will be protected and, and everything will be okay. And if you come from a really rough past or really unstable home, or, you know, there's some, some sort of abuse or something, you're like, oh, this looks so good. And we did, we looked good on the outside. We looked like all of our families were put together. We looked like, you know, there wasn't divorce and, and our families looked really strong it was all a mask, right? There was like so much just, it was like just rotten underneath, but Mm. it looked good on the outside. And yeah, people would come and they'd be like, okay, just tell me what to do. I remember Mm. one woman joined and she was like, okay, no, like, tell me exactly what to do. So that I, so that things will like go well, that things will be. And I was like, okay, why would you want this? Why would you want, you know, even in it, even like, as I was a believer, I remember thinking, I want people to join so they don't end up in hell, but I don't want, like, you don't want this. You don't want this. Mm. Like, like say the prayer, but don't join. Like, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so what types of rules were you living by? Yeah. So for women, we were required to wear long dresses, completely covered, now, not everyone followed these rules, but these were the rules. And if you lived on the property, and especially because I was in the leader's family, we, we lived every rule. And if you couldn't do it in a dress, you weren't allowed to do it. So that cuts out a lot of things that we weren't allowed to do as women. And men had, like, and men had all control. We were taught that if you had a different opinion from your husband, You weren't just supposed to agree with him. You were supposed to change your beliefs and your thoughts to match his. So not Mm. only did you have to obey the men in your life, you had to like morph into exactly what they wanted. In my family, we were all homeschooled. So I didn't have any kind of outside interaction that much. No TV, no radio, no music. And we could listen to music, but it was, it was like, like strings and classical there was no like no pop music even coming out I was almost like decades behind in pop culture the even the books we were allowed to read had to be printed by certain publishers like they couldn't be mainstream our education was very much slanted towards it was all printed within fundamentalism we couldn't date and so when it was time to get married we had to have our our partners approved and they had to go through this like in- investigation, like interview process, I guess. And once we had, once we had kids, we were supposed to stay home and then we just were supposed to have as many kids as we could. So mm-hmm. kind of like a woman's worth was tied to how many kids she could have. So yeah, after I got married within six months, I was pregnant. And then I just kept having babies mm-hmm. until we left. Wow. 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 Yeah. <laughs> That's just a few, wow. but I'll stop there. <laughs> oh, wow. So you said that you can't date. So are you only allowed to be with somebody that's also in the cult? 
Yeah. Oh, so it had to yeah. be somebody within the group. And then like we could, I guess, I don't know. I don't know what you would call it. We could get together if we had somebody with us. So it was usually like a younger sibling. Chaperoned, or, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or we would hang out in the living room of our house. There was not any like alone getting to know each other time. It was, right. it was very much. And then you weren't supposed to touch, kiss, have sex. I mean, you couldn't even like hold hands during that whole time. So yes wow and so as a little kid looking at your mum did you get a sense that this was very controlled or was this all just how it was no it was just how it was Mm. I had I had very few glimpses of anybody outside Mm. and if I did we were we were prepped before we went into that situation and told why these people weren't good So let's say we had to go and have, I don't know, a meeting with somebody or we were visiting family. We would be told, like our parents would prep us. Here's why we don't live this way. Here's why it's not right that they live this way. And so I would go into any situation thinking these people are bad. They're going to hell. Like, you know, in your little kid mind, you just, Mm. it's right and wrong. Right. Yeah. And everything on the outside was just scary to me, honestly. And so, yeah, everything was it was just normal. Like that's how, that's, that's how the only thing I knew. That's yeah. the only thing I knew. Yeah. If you ever met my dad, he is so, his personality is so big and he just takes up the room and he is very engaging. And, and I mean, obviously, right. If you're going to lead a group like this, that's like one of the characteristics. And so he took up a lot of space, good or bad, right. He just took up a lot of space and my mom was very laid back, very quiet, very much just kind of like a peacekeeper. What would a typical day be like? You Would you just get up and be homeschooled? Yeah, I was recently talking to my sister and she described it so perfectly. She said it was like we were living our entire life on the edge of a cliff. Wow. That feeling of I'm okay, but I'm not okay. That's kind of, and I only know this now after going through therapy and, and kind of like unpacking everything, but you, we never knew what our life was going to be like day to day. We would, we would wake up, we would be homeschooled, but it was never really a safe, even though, even maybe, maybe it was physically safe, emotionally, you weren't, you weren't allowed to be yourself. Right. I, I tell people that I was allowed to have two emotions. I was allowed to be obedient and happy. And one of those isn't even an emotion. Right. Like, so you're any kind of feelings, you just had to push those down. And anytime you were upset, you had to push those down. And honestly, I spent a lot of my childhood in the woods. We were surrounded by a nature preserve. And anytime I was allowed, I would go outside and just get lost in the woods for hours. And, you know, my mom had six kids, so she was probably happy to let me just roam and explore. (laughs) So she didn't have quite as many to take care of. My brother and I would go out a lot. Yeah. And, you know, when my dad was home, it was kind of make yourself as small as possible. I knew he loved me. But you never knew if he was in a good mood or a bad mood. And, you know, it was, it was the same way when he was preaching, he could just be like so funny and so happy. And 
And then the next time it, it would just be, you didn't know if you were going to get called on and yelled at in front of the group. You didn't know if he was going to be yelling at you, if he was going to be really angry. And that was kind of my experience at home as well. Yeah. Wow. And it is, it's it when you talk about being on the edge all the time, it, it is just living in fear, isn't it? Even though you don't maybe feel fearful, it it's like if I take a wrong step, if I do anything wrong, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, it just makes me want to scream yeah. and throw everything and run away. <laughs> well, well, you know what? I did run away and I do scream and throw things <laughs> because yeah, it's my nervous system has been affected mm. so drastically. And, and I think it really helps me when I talk about my nervous system rather, because then I can take care of her in a different way. Mm. And I just think, okay, my nervous system was on edge and didn't feel safe for so long. Of course, she still has some effects, you know, after effects from that. And so, yeah, does she need to scream? Does she need to hit something? Does she need to take a nap in the middle of the day and just, you know, lock the door to make sure that she's safe? Yeah. 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 And so what do you think you believed about yourself growing up? What were the beliefs that were instilled in you about who you were? The core belief that I was taught from my earliest memories, so three and four, was that I was born a sinner with a black heart. Like it was so disgusting that it was black Mm -hmm. and that I was broken and I was evil. And if I begged God to save me, he would wash me clean and take me to heaven. So that is that those are the very first, like as a baby, as a three, four year old, I'm being taught this. And then Mm -hmm. that was what I heard three to four times a week at church and every night in my home. And it, it sinks into your bones. I am not enough and I will never be enough. I was born in darkness and it's only if I beg this, you know, angry God in the sky that I will be clean. But then if I mess up, I have to continue to ask for forgiveness. And I mean, the rules were, they were three miles long. Plus we had unwritten rules. So you never knew when you were going to be breaking rules. So every single day, I just felt so worthless and so much shame because I would try to do better and I couldn't do better. I kept breaking all these rules. And then shame was like, oh, you're not enough. You can't be enough. You keep trying to be enough and you can't. So you better just keep all of that secret and hidden. And I was, I was an expert at lying. I mean, just, I had to, I had to keep all of my sins a a secret so that I wouldn't be yelled at or judged or kicked out of the group yeah well you've got no choice have you because nobody can be perfect we can't it's just (laughs) not possible and (laughs) exactly and you're being told you're evil anyway I mean Mm -hmm. it's just oh my god it's just and it wasn't even like it wasn't like I was I was morally doing things wrong I was just not living up to these arbitrary rules that said me being born a woman was already flawed. Mm. And so it was like, if I had an independent thought, that was evil. If I wanted to speak out in a group, that was evil. So it was just like the core of who I was and how I wanted to be was wrong. 
Yeah, absolutely. My gosh. So when was the first time that you questioned it? Like, when did you just go, well, actually, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, there's got to be something else or what did you see or, because it can't imagine being that indoctrinated into something and actually kind of going, oh, hold on, there's something else. The first time I was 16 and I tried to kind of live a little bit independent and that blew up in my face. I was physically beaten. I was shamed. I was brought before the church. Like it was humiliating at such a deep level. And so that kind of put me in my place, right? That shame and fear and also not having anybody on the outside that could help me like that, that put me in my place for another 10 years. Mm. And I just got in line, right? I just got in line and I did what I was supposed to. I was like, okay, that's not going to work. Let me just try to be who they say I should be. I got married. I had just one baby after another. And then when I was 28, I... I joined this Facebook group for moms. And now we weren't really supposed to be using the internet that much. We weren't supposed to be doing this kind of thing, but you could use it for research. You could use it for like recipes. And I was like, I'm, I'm very out, uh, ambitious. I have huge dreams. I mean, I run my own business now. I'm, I, I just, I just, I'm big, right? I just have big everything. But in this group, I couldn't. And so I channeled it into motherhood. And I was like, I'm going to be the best mother you've ever seen mother out of all mothers, right? I made all my food from scratch. I, I mean, I'm talking like I ground my own wheat to make bread. Oh, I wow. made all that's, my kids. That's from scratch. Forget <laughs> yes, a lot yes. other from scratch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I made all my kids clothes, not all of them, but I made a lot of my kids clothes. So I found this group while searching for patterns for, for my, my kids. And I joined this group and within it, I met this woman who she knew the type of group I was in and we just connected. And she said to herself, I'm going to help this woman get out. And she didn't say that to me because I would have just like walls would have gone straight up because I was entrenched. Right. But at the same time, my husband and I had started to see things in the group that we were like, wait a second, this feels really wrong. And, but we, we couldn't really say that out loud to anybody else, but we had started whispering it to each other, which felt scandalous enough as it was. So we, I meet this woman and she just basically taught me to think for myself. She never shamed me. She never made me feel stupid. She never, yeah, she just would ask me these really thought provoking questions. And I'd be like, oh, well, let me think about that. And she was unlike anybody I had ever seen before. First of all, she's a woman who speaks her mind. And I was like, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> and she did whatever she wanted. She like took care of herself and she like sought joy and pleasure. And I was like, what? I didn't know women could do this. Like she was covered in tattoos and she listened to rock music and she had a nose ring. And I was like, I'm pretty sure this woman is going to hell, but if I can just have like an ounce of that freedom, I might go with her. And, and I remember she was just, she was so incredibly kind, but she wasn't nice. Do you know what I mean? Like she, she didn't put on a performance for anybody else. And 
she changed my life. She changed my life. She brought in, like she helped basically crack, put cracks in my facade. And then the light started to come in and the light started to shine. You, you know, like I just started to have all of these questions and doubts and I started to voice those and she held space for that. And I had never had that happen before in my life. So that was, yeah, between the ages of 28 and 30. Wow. Yeah. What a revelation to just <laughs> have your world opened up. And so how do you actually leave? Like, what does that look like? It happened in stages. So I didn't know how to leave. So I say I kind of learned how to run away. So we had come across this family that had traveled in an RV for a while across the country. And I was like, okay, we can't leave, but maybe we could travel for a little bit just to get away just for a little bit. And now, well, I guess I don't even think I thought to get away. I thought, I think back then I just thought, you know, I was adventurous and I wanted to travel. Looking back, I was like, oh, this person is running away. She is trying to get out. So we sold everything we owned and we moved into this RV. And I mean, I was, I think I had, so I had two babies and I was eight months pregnant when we finally sold everything and bought this RV. We spent the next two months like redoing it. I had the baby. And then six weeks later, we started traveling. Wow. And it lasted for about six or eight weeks because I was diagnosed with Lyme's disease and one of the darkest periods of my life, just, just so dark. I had been taught my entire life. If you follow the rules, your life will be good. If you follow the rules, God will bless you. And then I wake up with this incurable disease. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. What this doesn't make sense. And while this was good that I started questioning and that, that it started to, to break things apart at the time, it was so scary because it was all I had ever known. And yeah, it was just, it was, it was a terribly scary time in my life because when your foundation starts to crumble, you don't know what else there is. So I, after a few months, I started to like, my symptoms started to regulate and we were able to travel again. We ended up, we did not travel that much. We actually ended up staying for seven months on this pecan farm in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we were like 15 minutes away from a town of 200 people. Wow. And honestly, it was amazing because we weren't under the microscope. Like we were still living within all of the rules, but nobody was watching us and nobody was reporting us mm -hmm. and nobody was expecting anything from us. So it felt to me like freedom, even mm -hmm. though it was far from freedom. But I got pregnant again which I didn't want to because I was very afraid that my limes would cause problems for the baby, but I didn't know that I had a choice. I didn't know that I could not have another baby. So we're in the middle of nowhere. We're living in an RV. We've got three kids. I'm pregnant. This is like not ideal situation to have a baby. So we had to go back to Maryland and back to the property. And even though when I was diagnosed with Lyme's, that was really dark. This time going back to Maryland was the darkest period in my life because I felt like I actually still connected it to God. I thought God had given me this taste of freedom and now he was making me go back. And I, I hated it. I hated it so much. This was the first time though, 
that I told my husband on the way back, I was like, I'm not going to lie anymore. Like, I'm not going to pretend that I'm happy if I'm not happy. And I'm not going to pretend that I'll have questions or doubts. And he was like, okay, cool. Like he, I always kind of say he was in it for me. Like I, he was never really fully in. So when I started saying these things, he's like, okay, yeah. But we went back, we were still living on the property. And then I start speaking up and I start saying things that are not acceptable. Like it is not okay. And I start saying things like, why do men get to tell me what to do? Why can't I get a tattoo? Why can't I wear pants? Why can't I have a career? And people were not okay with this. Like they would come to my house and say, you're on a dangerous path. You're not allowed to talk to our family or our kids until you get back to what is right. Wow. So like my whole life was crumbling around me, but I'm still there. I have this other baby. I go through severe postpartum depression. I go through like regular depression. I, you know, have this friend who she's still like whispering truth in my ear. She's still teaching me how to speak up. I am, I am speaking up and I am doing these things, but it is soul crushing because I'm watching everything crumble. I'm watching the foundation crumble. I'm watching my community crumble. At this point, family members were no longer talking to me. It was just, it was very hard. And during this time, my sister, she, she lived in Thailand at the time. She got cancer and I decided, I was like, I'm going to go see her, of course. And I could go for a month without getting special paperwork. So I left everything. I like, I left my kids and I was a nanny. And so I, I left them. I was homeschooling. I was like, I I just asked, I just asked my husband to take over everything I was doing so that I could go see my sister. So I went and spent a month there. It was amazing. Is actually where I learned that I was in a cult because my sister and I, you know, we're both kind of on the same path of deconstructing and, and kind of going down this path. And so we were talking so many conversations and I would make jokes about getting out of a cult or man, that felt like it was a cult. And one night I was like, you know, I should stop saying that because there are people who actually have to get out of cults and who actually escaped cults. Like, let me just look up what a cult actually is. So I pull up this list of like the 17 characteristics of a cult and I start reading them and I'm like, one, okay, that's lots of religions Two, okay, three, four, five, six, 16, 17. I was like, oh my God, we were in a cult. (laughs) So that was kind of, (laughs) (laughs) right. (laughs) It's so important to have words to describe. And this is what I learned really in those first few years of therapy was like having words to describe what you've been through. Yeah. So powerful. And that's kind of what had happened. Like putting that word to it was like, oh, maybe this is why I have some mental issues. Yeah. So the last day I was there, you know, my whole life I've struggled with anxiety and depression and panic attacks. The panic attacks started when I was about 16 and just intense, debilitating. So one of the last ones that I had was in Thailand. It was the day before I left and I was packing everything that I had, you know, packing up. I was in my nephew's room where I was staying and I, you know, I'm packing and all of a sudden I just, I just start losing my breath and I realize what's happening. And my sister comes in a few minutes later, I'm curled up in a ball on the floor. Just if you've ever had a panic attack or seen or know anything about it, your brain is telling you that you're dying 
and your body starts to shut down and it's just taking care of your vital organs. And so your body just kind of like curls up and you're, you know, you're struggling to breathe. You're very fast. And so I, I looked very distressing. <laughs> it was very distressing. She comes in. You would think that she would be like, are you okay? How can I help? She looks at me and she goes, you better figure out what the fuck is wrong with you or you're going to get sick just like me. And that was such a gut punch for me because, you know, I'm watching her fight cancer and I'm just like, oh my goodness. Yes. Like all of this stress and anxiety in our bodies is making us sick. And I mean, after that, she did like help me breathe and help me regulate. But the next day I left and I just, I mean, I cried the entire way around the globe. I mean, just from one, you know, I, I flew from there to Qatar to Boston. It was just like, just this trail of tears and snot as I like just sobbed around the world because I knew what was wrong with me, but I was so afraid because at this point I had been telling myself the truth, right? Like I knew I wasn't happy. I knew I, what I was in. I had been taking steps to step into my power and speak up. And the next step was to leave, but that was so scary. Yeah. And that's what I was fighting the whole way was like, are you, are you going to do this? Can you, can you do this? And finally, when I got in Boston, it was my last connection till I got to Baltimore. I was finally like, I can't, if I stay, if I let fear keep me here, I will die. Because at this point I had been struggling. If since I came back to Maryland, pregnant with my fourth, after I had him, I struggled with suicidal ideation almost daily. I was so, and I, I can look back now and see, I didn't want my life to end. I just wanted that part of my life to end. Like I didn't know how to get out. And so two and a half years of this, finally in airport in Boston, I was like, I cannot do this anymore or I won't make it. So I get back to Baltimore and I told my husband, I was like, I'm done. Like, I cannot live here on the property. I cannot be a part of this. I cannot be a part of this. I have to leave. And I said, if you want help with these children, you need to come with me. And you have never seen a man pack so fast in his life. <laughs> Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. He had just been left alone for a month. He was like, oh, no, wait for me. <laughs> so that was like the last straw. I, I had been a stay-at-home mom for 10 years at that point, And I didn't. I liked parts of it, but it was not as fulfilling as I needed. So I was like, I want to, I want to have a career. I applied for a job and I told my husband, I'm like, I'm just going to start applying. It's going to take a long time for me to find a job, but I'm just going to start. First job I applied for two days later, I get a call. 
we'd like to offer this job. And I was like, what? Wow. So I told my husband, I was like, I want to take this job, but it's across the country, like literally the other side of the country. And it was in, it was in Utah. And he was like, I don't even know where Utah is. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm taking this job. And he was like, well, can we go see the city before we move? And I was like, oh, fine. So we went out there, fell in love with the city. It's surrounded by mountains and nature. We loved that. We came home on a Tuesday. I accepted the job on a Wednesday. And a week later, we left. I I rented the smallest moving trailer. It was four by eight. And if it didn't fit in there, I sold it. I would just take whole pictures of my house and put it on Facebook Marketplace and be like, if you want it, come tonight. Otherwise, it's going you know, to charity. And we drove out here. So... So from the time I accepted the job to when we were out here was two weeks, it took us a week to drive across the country and didn't have a house, didn't know anybody, not one person. And I like to say that, you know, there are seven of us in the car. There were my four kids. There's my husband. And then fear took up a whole seat. Like she was with me every step of the way. But at that point, I was like, look, fear, I know you're trying to keep me safe, right? Because because I don't like I don't think fear should be demonized. I don't think it's something that that we need to overcome or get rid of. Like it tries to keep us safe, right? It really does. Like we're alive. We don't take a step off of a cliff because of fear. But it's when fear tries to keep us from doing what's best that that's really when it's detrimental. So I just think of like, I'm going to put fear in the passenger seat. And we can hold hands and I can say, thank you for trying to take, you know, take care of me, but I'm in charge now. And we drove across the state line, got to Utah. We have a picture of our family there at this, at the like, welcome to Utah sign. And we look happy and we're all smiling. But I remember in that moment, my hands were shaking so badly because I was like, this is it. Like I have crossed a line. I don't know what is on the other side, but there's no going back. Like literally we can't afford to drive back <laughs> and yeah. And it's almost like the first year, every picture that we took, you can see fear with me, really? but she's walking next to me. She's not driving. Right. And it's like, that's what I want people to know is that when there are things in your life that you know, that need to change, you don't have to wait until you're not afraid. Like I, every day I make choices and I feel the fear, but I just thank her for trying to protect me, put her in the passenger seat and say, we're doing this anyway, because what's the alternative? Yeah. What's the alternative to live in that soul crushing, you know, that feeling all the time. And now I say, you know, I had 30 years stolen from me. 30 years where I had no voice and I had no choice. I'm not going to let fear stop me from doing anything I want. And that's not easy, right? It's not easy, but it's doable. And it's just one small thing at a time, right? It started way back when I said, I'm not going to lie anymore. It didn't start with me selling everything and moving across the country. It started with me saying, I'm not going to lie anymore. And then the next step was like, well, I'm going to speak up and say what I'm actually feeling. 
just like, yeah, one small step at a time. I don't know what your actual question was. I really just started going off. <laughs> no, no, it, that that was a beautiful answer. It was it was just how did you leave? And of course, okay. you know, it's not going to be a one sentence answer. That was that was incredible. Just going back on that story, how is your sister doing now? Yeah, she is. She's doing okay. She's doing okay because she she's had still, cancer. Yeah, so she is still. She's still healing and recovering from it but she's she's doing okay yeah yeah but it's interesting what she said you're going to get sick like me I mean you already had Lyme disease I mean all of these things come from that stress that we hold in our body doesn't it that's what surprised me was that when I got out of the group and I started interacting with normal people I put that in quotes right that they struggled with so many of the same things I was like, wait a second, you're out here. You're allowed to wear pants. You're allowed to go get an education. You're allowed to have a career and you're still living under someone else's expectations and you're still living in fear. Like what? What? And I quickly realized that even though I have this wild backstory, that the base feelings we all struggle with. And especially women under these these, this patriarchal society, we are told to always be giving of ourselves, right? Like just give and give and give and push your needs and your desires and your wants, just shove those down. And the more you do that, that stays trapped in your body and all that stress and all that anxiety and leads to so much sickness and disease. You know, just, I've just seen it from so many people in my group and so many women I interact with yeah, when we deny our voice, our desires, our wants, when we just deny ourselves time alone because somebody else needs us, yeah, it just gets trapped in our bodies and it stays there and it makes us sick. Well, that's such an amazing point you make because you were in a cult, but it really it's like a mini version of what everybody else is doing yes. out of choice, really. Not it, not well, not choice, but it is choice. I mean, it's, it's like it's like you're asleep to it, right? Yeah, yeah it's an it. unconscious, yeah. And just going back also, what was your mum and dad's reaction to you leaving? My my dad didn't really continue a relationship with me. It was very, very strained, very complicated, very strained. Mom did her best. She did her best. She was in an almost impossible situation. So she did stay connected with me and my kids, but it was, there was a lot of strain on our relationship. And from her part, from her perspective, she was so worried that my, her daughter and her, her grandkids were going to end up in hell because Mm -hmm. we weren't living this way. And so it's, it was, we, I kind of set some boundaries and I said, look, I want to have a relationship with you here's how I can do it. And she said, yes. Okay. I agree to that. And so she just recently passed away, which is why I'm I'm still a little, (laughs) it's a little raw. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, she passed away in March, which is, you know, just a few months ago. And I hadn't seen her in years since I left, left the property. And when I got the call, this, I just, just kind of tell you how important this whole thing about like 
saving yourself and taking care of yourself is to me. When I got the call that she was sick, my sister called and she said, mom's in the hospital. If you want to see her, you need to come now. We didn't know she was sick and she died two weeks later. But when I got that call, I, it just, it was totally shocked me. I, I was not expecting it at all. And it, you just can't prepare yourself, even if you are expecting that, right? You can't prepare yourself for that kind of call. And it gutted me. I fell to the ground. I was just sobbing. And my husband came in and I, the first thing I said was, I can't believe I took my kids away from their grandmother. Cause she did. She loved them. She loved us. And he put his hands on my face and he looked me in the eyes and he said, yes, but you saved your life and you gave them a mother. And as painful as that whole process was, by me putting myself first and saving my own life, I saved my kids' lives. I got them out. I have three daughters that would have lived that same reality. Yeah. And it's, it's, we're taught that it's selfish to put ourselves first, but it's not. It's not. It's vital. Because when we put ourselves first and we nourish ourselves and we take care of ourselves and that our dreams and all of that magic and, and what we were brought here for just pours out of us and it affects everybody around us. You know, like my kids, they're watching me just fully stand in my power and my purpose and they're watching me live a fulfilled life and they are too. They're mimicking me. And so, oh, yeah, <laughs> just got a little carried away there for a second. But no, but like... I love it. I love, love, love it. It's just incredible, isn't it? I'm so sorry to hear about your mom. And, and it is so hard to have not been able to have her in your life. But what you've done is exactly what you said. You've saved yourself. You've saved your children and their children and their children. It's changing generational patterns, isn't it? And yeah. that's that's absolutely incredible. So you turned up and, and was that your first job that you'd ever had? So I I was allowed to get my degree. I went to a fundamentalist college and I had one degree that I was allowed to get and I was allowed to be a teacher. Um, that was the one degree that was offered for women. Okay. And so I had my degree in education and I had taught for a few years in a Christian school before I got married. As soon as I got married, I quit. You know, you have to look back and go, wow, you applied for one job. You get it. It's amazing. It allows you to take off and change your whole life. Like it's just, you've got to think that's got to be meant to be, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When you look back, you're like, that That couldn't have just happened, right? And I don't do that job anymore. That job was not meant for long-term, but it got me out here and it, it got me thinking about what I really wanted to do. And while I was still working there, I went back to school and I, I got my certification and became a life coach. And that, oh my goodness, that just, I was like, yes, this is it. Like I almost went back to school for, to, to become a therapist because therapy had helped me so much. And I was like, man, like I, maybe I want to do that. But the more I learned about myself, you know, therapy deals so much with the past and your trauma and my personality and my gifts are very forward thinking. 
very much about making plans and, and casting visions and seeing a different future. And yeah, the more I learned about myself, I was like, wait, I don't want to deal with the past. I think that's important. Like, yes, go to therapy. But when people are ready to move forward and make a path forward, that's where I come in. And I love it. I love it. And so, yeah, just looking back and seeing how one thing led to the other, it couldn't have happened any other way. Absolutely. And so how weird was it to live in the the big wide world? I just kind of think like, were you looking around going, wow, what was strange or what was amazing? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. Everything was both amazing and scary. It was amazing to have options and to be able to choose and decide, but that was also very scary. When you're in a group like this, you're, you know, the right and wrong for everything. You have the right answer for everything. So you don't have to wonder, but once you get out into the regular world and you think for yourself, there are no right and wrong, right? There are just choices and consequences. And that was really, really like overwhelming, I guess. And then all of our beliefs had to be put on the table and be like, okay, do we actually believe this? I remember one of my coworkers was gay and she was getting married. And I was like, wait, can we, oh my goodness, we can go to her. We can go to her wedding. Like we can celebrate this. We can, because it was like, everything would come up and we'd be like, wait a second. Do we believe this? No, we don't. Okay. Well, what do we believe? And it was over, it was an overwhelming few years of going through that. But I tell you now on this side of it, it's just like, I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. I have been through the hard process of having to strip away everything, decide what I think. And a lot of people fell away. Mm. You know, when we would say, okay, we believe this and not that people would fall away. We're going to live this way and not that way. People would fall away. And now I'm to the point where like, okay, look, I survived everything. I'm surrounded by a community now that I have built and, and a family I have chosen who support me and celebrate me. And that's really, it's, it was a hard path to get here, but I'll do it again. Yeah. That's beautiful. And like you said, it was 30 years of your life. Was there anger? Was there grief? What, what were those sort of emotions when you realize that? Yeah, I would not say that there was anger and grief. I would say there is. Mm -hmm. And it comes in waves. Sometimes I feel really grounded and I I feel like, oh, I have moved past and I am, you know, next level glitter and sparkles. And then a memory will come up or a new thing will, will surface. And I have to feel all those same emotions again. And at first I hated that because I wanted to be love, joy, peace, all like happy and just good emotions. And I have learned that as we deal with things, you know, deeper things can come up and to love and have fierce compassion for myself as I'm feeling those, you know, if something happens to my child, that is an injustice, they're allowed to get mad and be angry and cry and scream and then look for, you know, a way forward. And so I try to think about myself that way too. When new things come up, 
when I maybe lose connection with another person because a new part of me, you know, has, you know, if I, if I say something, I, I recently came out as bisexual and I, I lost a lot of people in my life and well, not a lot, but that's some. And I, I just say, I just try to think of those hurt feelings as more of my younger self and a child. And I try to just give myself love and compassion like I would want my mom to, right? Mm. And because we're always going to feel that, right? Like maybe, you know, maybe not from our past, but we're always going to have these feelings. And so, yeah, there was, it, it has definitely mellowed out. I should say I have, I have, you know, I've gotten a lot of help and I've gone through a lot of therapy and I've dealt with a lot and I have made peace with a lot, but yeah, I, I did have, I was so angry at everybody in my life, everybody who had taken part of the teaching and the abuse. And yeah, now I think I've gotten to the point where when new things come up, I'm okay with the anger. Whereas before I almost felt shame for the anger. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, Hey, anger is just an emotion and it can be felt. Emotions aren't good or bad. Yeah. They're just, they just need to be felt. That's a beautiful realization because I was always shamed for being angry as a kid. And it's really only in recent years that I've heard that actually you don't have to feel shame for being angry. And I, I always thought yeah. that was part of life. Oh, you're a bad person if you feel anger or if you show anger. So it's a lovely thing to understand I think coming from everything that's happened to you what what is your advice for people who do want to move forward how do you how do you make changes how do you do things when you've relied on somebody else telling you what to do how do you change that yeah most people don't have to burn their entire lives to the ground like I do, right? So that's, that's first of all, just knowing that you don't have to make huge sweeping changes can take some of the pressure off. But for me, it was so vital to have somebody walk beside me. That woman who came into my life, she changed everything. I don't think I could have done it without her. And I often say I borrowed people's courage when I didn't feel like I had it on my own. And so I think finding somebody who understands where you want to go and will support you, even like for me, it was that private Facebook group where nobody knew me and I didn't have to pretend it could be something like that. It could be, yeah, I mean, it could be therapy. It could be coaching. It could be like just somebody on your side who can walk with you because it's, it is not only is it scary to make change, it's hard to to rework your brain's pathways, right? And, and change your life and having somebody. Yeah. That's my biggest, that's my biggest tip. I would say is just have somebody who can walk with you. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And it's about learning to listen to your gut, isn't it really? I think a lot of people, and I'm sure this was you, I mean, you don't even know how to listen to your gut at first because you're so used to listening to other people. You're also told not to. So your intuition is vilified. And, you know, you're just an emotional woman. That's why men are in charge, right? Like at least three, but, but outside of our group, this is told to women everywhere. Mm. You're too emotional. You, you can't think straight, you know? And so you're like, oh, 
well, I thought my body was telling me this, but obviously I shouldn't listen. And this starts when we're children. That person makes me uncomfortable. What are you talking about? That's our friend. He's fine. Okay, don't listen to my body. You know, and we'll speak up and no, that's not right. That's not true. Oh, okay. So my body's not true. My body, I'm not right. And then we just, we just embody that. And we're like, okay, my body is against me. It's not for me. And so I need to make it be quiet. And we have so many tools to make our, our, just to, to numb out. I mean, alcohol, you could drink a couple glasses of wine after work. And now you just have ignored, or you just numbed out that you don't have any life work balance or that you don't have any passion at work. Scrolling for a couple of hours and social media can help you forget that you don't have boundaries and you're being taken advantage of. My favorite was a Netflix binge and ice cream. Like just totally numb out to the fact that I, I'm not listening. I'm a shell of myself. And but you can use sex. You can use work. There's so many different ways to numb out what your body is trying to tell you because we've been told not to listen to it. And listening to your body and what it's telling you is it's an art that you have to relearn and take time to just sit with your body and start to honor it, which is, can be scary, which yeah. is why it's really nice to have somebody like a, a support group or, you know, somebody to walk along with you to say like, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Yes. You can choose yourself again. You can listen to your body. It's okay. What have you discovered about yourself in all of this that you didn't know before? That's a good question. A lot, everything. That's right. That's right. Not what you're looking for. I would say, I would say recently, just this year, since my mom's death. And I would say I, I've discovered that I have this just huge magic inside of me for inspiring other people that I've always tampered down because I felt like I was trying to draw attention to myself or that I needed to be humble or that was bragging. And since my mom died, I just have this, this desire to just scream from the rooftops. This is your one life. This is your one life. Nobody else has to live your life except you. So like, let's step into that. Like what serves you? What magic and joy do you have inside that's going to make you so happy, but also serve the world around you? You know, being selfish sounds bad because it sounds like we're just taking from everyone else. But really, when we're selfish, we give. We give our magic. And I just cannot be quiet about it. And I'm fully embracing that that desire to be like, I, you know, I'm a speaker. I love being on podcasts. I love talking. Like all of that is such a beautiful gift I have to share this message. And that doesn't make me like, I can embrace that. I can be like, yeah, I love being on stage. Yes. I love attention. Like that's okay. And I think, yeah, it took me a while to get there. But now with this newfound passion of just like, I want every woman to know that it's her birthright to honor herself and create a life that serves her. That passion has, uh, yeah, kind of uncovered 
that like, yeah, I love this and that's okay. And it's awesome. Yeah. And we all have that, right? We all have those things inside of us that we think we need to keep hidden. We shouldn't brag. We shouldn't say like, this is what I'm great at. This is what I love. But those are, that's the magic that changes the world. That's the yeah. magic that we have for our communities and our families. Yeah. That's it's beautiful. Okay to let it out. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I, I fully believe that too. We all have our own magic. We're just, it's just the fear that keeps us from allowing it to come out. And it's, it's incredible to see when people do stand in that magic and power. It's just such a beautiful thing. And it's, it is changing the world. It changes people's lives. You posted a beautiful picture recently on Instagram with, I'm assuming no clothes on. Oh yeah. Um, It was a beautiful image, very tasteful and artistic. Was that a symbol of freedom? What was, what was that about? I was participating in a meditation the night before I posted that. And I was, I was, it was actually a cannabis meditation, which is so powerful. It's it's pretty cool. And I was so, I was so, I guess, moved by this thought that I'm in a place where I can speak words that other people still have locked inside of them. And Recently, I had shared about some of my grieving and I I was a very raw post about the emotions that were coming up and my mental health and how I felt about myself. And people, a few people sent me messages saying, you have no idea how the words you're speaking are addressing things inside of me that I can't say. And, and that, that was about grief, but that came to me that night before I posted this picture and I, you know, I've been learning so much about myself over the last 10 years. And I, and I, you know, sexuality within that group is just, it's so shamed. There's so much body shame and, and homosexuality is like such a terrible sin in that group. And it's just, you know, all this stuff. So it's taken me a while to kind of unpack all of that. And in the last few years, I have learned about myself that I'm bisexual And that's such a beautiful part of me, right? It's such a beautiful part of who I am and and how I show up in the world. And that the night before I thought, I have the freedom to speak those words when other people don't. And that image came to me where I was just naked, where I was like, here I am, here I am. And it's beautiful. And nobody can control my body. Nobody has say over my body or how I live or how I show up in the world. And it was both very freeing to post that, but it was also knowing like I do have freedom right now to say that when other people still feel like they can't. And it, yeah, I was scared. I was like very scared to post that. It was, it was like pushing my edge of like what I share about myself. I've never shared a picture like that. And I called my sister the night before and I was like, here's what I want to do. Here's why I want to do it. And here's what fear is telling me. Because sometimes fear is really loud, right? It's like a screaming toddler in your ear and you can't say, get in the passenger seat without somebody helping. So I called my sister and she kind of just walked me through my fear and said like, is this true? Is this true? And I was like, okay, no, I can address that. Okay. Can I just talk to myself and, you know, through it. And she said, she said, she's like, remember the first time you posted a picture of yourself in pants? And I was like, yeah, 
I was so scared to post that too. <laughs> and it's just so funny how, how things have changed. And here now I am like, you know, completely naked. Being like, okay, here we go. Next thing. <laughs> I love it. I love that. And I love that you had a time where you were thinking about whether to post in pants. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> That's a journey, isn't it? You yeah, can it just is. see it right there. <laughs> what what do you want for your kids that you didn't have? What are the things that or just the one most important thing that you want your kids to have? That they are beautiful and perfect and amazing. Period. They don't have to be or try or do. They just are. And that's it. Yeah. I just want them to know that they don't have to strive. They don't have to prove anything. They don't have to make me proud. They don't have to do anything for me. Right. I'm here to do something for them. They don't have to do anything for me. And my husband and I share this picture back and forth, depending on which one of us is struggling, but it's this picture of a person standing on a railroad track and they've got their arms out. And in front of them are these little kids crossing the railroad track. And crashing into the adult's back is this train full of demons not like demons from hell but like demons from our past like our past traumas and our past abuses and it's just this beautiful image of how as parents we are able to stop this generational trauma I mean this has gone on in my family as far back as I can look and it's painful and it's hard for me to deal with all this, but my kids are just living their best life. They have no idea. In fact, they go to the library next, right next to our house very often. And I was giving a talk and the librarian was listening to my talk and she interacts with my kids a lot. And she listened to my story and she said, Oh my goodness. I had no idea. She said, as librarians, we're trained to look for trauma and signs of abuse in children because they often come to the library as a safe place. She said, I would never have guessed. She said, looking at your kids, there are, there's no sign. There's no sign of trauma. There's no sign of this. And I was just like, I started crying. I was like, yes, yes. I will receive everything that you're saying because that's what I want for them just to be able to show up as themselves. I mean, the world is messed up enough, right? They have things stacked against them enough. They should be able to just show up as themselves. Yeah. I love that. And I love that she told you that. What a beautiful gift. It's it's incredible. Melissa, tell us about your program, Permission to Live. I know you're helping a lot of women. Obviously, everything that you've been through, you're just the perfect teacher. Yes. Like I said before, most people don't have to break it all down. But the benefit with, <laughs> with the way I work is that I can be like, look, I know you're scared, but if I could do it, you could do it. And Permission to Live is a three-month program where I work one-on-one -on -one with women. And we we kind of pull back the lies. Like, what lies are you telling yourself? Where, where are you unhappy in your life? And what do you truly want? Like, what is that deep down desire that you wish you had in your life? And then we create a plan and I walk with them step by step 
to, to deal with like the fears that come up and the mindset. So we create a plan. We deal with mindset work because of all that fear. And then we, we create a container where they are nourishing themselves and creating fierce compassion for themselves for the journey. Because I don't believe in just, okay, we're going to change and we're going to push through and we're just going to, you know, just no, like my body suffered so much because I had to do it that way. I had to just push through and just go, go, go to get out. And my body is paying the price. And so at, when I work with women, yes, we're going to see change. And yes, we're going to unlock the magic and step into a life that serves you. But we're going to do it in such a way that you're caring and, and nourishing yourself each step of the way. And yeah, so that's, that's basically what it is. Three months, one-on-one. And I work over Zoom. So I work all, you know, all over the world. And that's one way, that's one thing I do. The other thing I do is I hold retreats in Southern Utah, which is the most beautiful, healing, amazing desert scape. I have one coming up in April where it's four days where you're connected with other women on the same path. And it is this just, it's beautiful vulnerability and growth. There's coaching throughout, there's healing modalities like dancing and sound and the water and hiking. It's, it's, it's just really fantastic. And you're surrounded by, by coaches and healers that are there to walk with you each step. And that is a really beautiful way to surround yourself with people who understand where you want to go, especially if you don't have that in your everyday life. And I have found that retreats for me kind of, kind of jumpstart or boost and give you that magic from community in such a beautiful way. And yeah, you're welcome to offer your listeners. I usually do like $200 off for people who listen to my story (laughs) and who feel like they would benefit from that. And also anybody who listens and feels like I want change, I'm ready to break free from fear, but they don't know what the next step is. I offer a free call to everybody who, who wants it just so that we can say like, Hey, what's going on in your life? And what's the next step for you? And it's just such a, it's such a beautiful way to say like, okay, what does it look like in my life? Because every single person is different. Yeah. I love that. And I will put all the details of, of those things in the show notes so that they're easy for people to find. And where can we find you on Instagram or a website? Where's the best place? Yeah, I am Melissa Lion West online, on Instagram, on Facebook, across the board. And Lion is L-Y-O-N. Beautiful. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for sharing your incredible story. I just love, I just, I can just feel like when you're talking, just the chains coming off, you know, it's like walking from this place where you're just so trapped. And I just love what you're creating for your life now and this freedom and and for your kids. I mean, it all just sounds so amazing. I love everything you're doing. Thank you so much for your time today and for connecting with me. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me. 
If you listen on Apple, I would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast. It would mean a lot. Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at my big love project and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.